This is French Tech Podcast, where you'll find interviews of tech ecosystem actors sharing their stories with La French Tech London. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. This is Elena Luni-Botteri. I am on the board of French Tech London leading the FinTech Group. And today, it's my pleasure to welcome April Rodin. She's the founder and CEO of the Rodin Group. And in fact, you know, April and I um, met at a number of conferences in Paris. And last time we met was in January at the Paris FinTech Forum. And um, it was actually great fun to meet again there and, uh, and talk about wealth management, fintech, startups. So April, I'm truly delighted to have you with us today. And uh, how about you tell us a bit more about you and, and also how you came about to found the Reading Group? Thank you, Helene. I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with your audience here. And so thanks for inviting me. And surely the end of January in Paris seems so long ago and so many different things have changed, but it reminds me of the time when I founded my firm, which was in 2008, which was certainly a volatile time, particularly here in New York in the U.S. where I'm based. So the problem I'm solving and, and what I uh, really sought to achieve was I took a look around. I knew that three things were really happening. There was going to be a transference of wealth from one generation to another, and it was just being started to uh, being talked about 12 years ago. Uh, so wealth next geners were coming up and the way that wealth management and other financial services were bought and sold, I believe was going to change. And technology was really coming uh, into play into fintech, wealth tech. And I knew that those three things were going to collide. And I took a look at different brands and I saw that largely the brands had undifferentiated messages like we put clients in trust first and a couple on a beach uh, signifying some type of retirement. So I saw that opportunity of the intersection of those three items and the lack of differentiated marketing. And what did I do? How did I start my firm? I went to uh, a friend of mine who headed one of the largest banks here in the U.S. And 12 years ago, I told him my idea, Helene. And he said to me the following, he said, number one, you're too old to be an entrepreneur. He told me, number two, banks will never hire outside firms. He told me, number three, high net worth people will never be on the internet and social media is a fad. And the minute I heard that, uh, I termed that as validation, went home, downloaded Yahoo tools and started my own website. That was really brave of you to take on the challenge and, and prove him wrong. Actually, 12 years later, you've been very successful. You have Marquis's name as client. So good of you to have uh, picked up the, the gauntlet and run with it. Now, you've been really successful in an environment we all knew before, face-to-face -face meetings, going to um, uh, events, conferences. You've been facilitating a number of panels and streams, especially at the Paris FinTech Forum where we met. But how has this changed now in your line of business with this high volatility market? How has it impacted you probably getting involved in events or even in your core business working with clients? So that's a great question. For me, it's more a business as usual, and it's been more of a driver to people to my business. So 12 years ago, when I started my firm, we were always work from home, and I have a great network of people 
all around the world and we've operated digitally since day one. And part of our mandate has been to really um, enable and encourage people to operate digitally. So there's an expression we have here that people have been saying that plan for five years and implement in five weeks. That's what the certain volatility in COVID-19 has meant for people. But I think it's a real opportunity for people all around the world to engage, and, and we've never seen that before. So there's not the, sim the barriers that might be for a live event, which might involve travel or expense for travel and admission to certain events. Uh, some of that has been broken down. So people are able to meet and network with people in a, I'll call it sort of freer way. I think people are more open to digital connections. So platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and then of course other digital events are really important for people to make sure that they connect. Even Zoom, right, has really proven its, um, its worth. And platforms like Zoom have enabled people to really get to know each other better, I would say. So when we talk, Helene, we can see more of our expressions, how we're doing, where we're living, a little bit of our environment. So you're in London, I'm here in New York. How do we live? And I think it helps people get to know each other better and faster in a more intimate and authentic way. So for us in our business, it's really been valuable to take these lessons and bring them to existing clients because many of those incumbents in uh, wealth management, financial services in general, and banks have been reticent about using social and using some of these platforms. So I, I think it's really been the push we've needed. It's really interesting to see you've been a precursor already in that space and had already adopted all these tools when people were still wondering uh, and questioning their validity. Having been already accustomed to working remotely and digitally, do you have some tips for people who are making that transition today and are getting maybe a bit confused or anxious about mixing up their private life and their work life, you know, somehow disclosing their interior? It's, it's a little bit like blurring boundaries that were far more established before. Can you share some suggestion and advice for people who are making this transition? That's a great question. So I think particularly in financial services, uh, working with compliance or regulatory, some people might be more reticent about mixing and the blurring of the personal life and the private life or even some people might be, but uh, if you think back, you remember that BBC interview where the gentleman's uh, baby came into the room and interrupted the interview and uh, the internet really went wild with that. And he was so upset, had his wife take the baby out of the room. That was just a few weeks or months just before the pandemic. And I think the exact opposite has happened now that uh, most people are anxious and willing and excited to get to know the 360 version of a person and not just say the work side. So for example, even in social media, when Facebook and LinkedIn first started, people would say, well, Facebook is for personal and LinkedIn is for professional. But I think more and more today, we find that in terms of doing business, there is an overall blurring of your personal and professional. And Let's face it, people want to do business with people they know and like. That's what brought us here today, Aline. Getting to know people and meeting them and learning more in a 360 view, not just about their uh, work life, but also more about them. Uh, are they interested in uh, gardening? 
Do they like cooking? Can you exchange recipes? All of these things bring people closer together. And I think even more important during this time is to get to know people. For example, maybe you notice something in someone's background that uh, pings you to ask them a question and become closer and get to know and share more about yourself personally. And I think for me, um, all of those things are good. And for the listeners, I hope you can embrace that also. And that really speaks to sort of your personal brand. So it, it, it's interesting. And I think, you know, you, you underline some things that were probably more inclined to do at the moment who are so deprived of social interaction that were probably more willing to engage and let our guard down a little bit and let people in and, and investigate about others as well in ways we wouldn't have done otherwise. Do you think these trends are here to stay and we will continue to maybe not greet each other by shaking hands, but becoming more inquisitive about what they like, what they do, because we learn to do that during this lockdown and it stays with us? I think so. I mean, just like anything else, uh, and I've tried to tell my children this at all, as well, I don't think there's anything that's wholly bad or wholly good and that we adapt as humans. And if we can take the good things and leave behind the bad things that we are very adaptive people. And so I think in this environment, rather than classifying the entire thing as, you know, wholly bad, which of course it is from a, a health standpoint, I think it's also given us the ability to sort of shed some of those things that we found that were excessive or superfluous or, you know, excessive travel, for example. I mean, perhaps you and I might have, you know, jumped on an airplane and gone somewhere uh, and really didn't need to. So, uh, you know, was better able to do that online or through a Zoom call. So I think that keeping an eye on uh, what things work and shedding those things that didn't work is a really great opportunity for our listeners today to think about how they might reimagine their business, how they reimagine their time. I don't know about for you, Helene, but I feel like I've gotten a lot of time back and energy back from travel and from meetings and just being more efficient and be more mindful. I like that, reclaiming your time. And I think it's true, you know, maybe... It's not the sensation of having more time, but having time for different things. You know, you don't waste as much time in commute for sure, or maybe, you know, too much chit-chat at the office, but you repurpose that time for other types of interaction. Now, one thing I'd like to drill into, you know, because of your perspective on branding and marketing is before we knew how to do our own personal branding or marketing in a certain way. But now we have to change that. We have to reinvent it. We have to adopt maybe a digital mindset. So can you help people figure out how they can stand out of the crowd digitally, which is a whole new game? That's a great question. And you're right. It is something that uh, I'm passionate about. And I would say one of my favorite compliments that I get from people when they meet me in person is that I'm exactly as they thought I would be. And so I think that that is a really important goal for people to keep in mind when they think about personal branding. In other words, there is no right way or wrong way to say build your LinkedIn profile or look at your website or do a podcast like this or be on a Zoom call. What really matters is being authentic to your own personal brand. So thinking of those things that are valuable to you, important to you, and, and putting them across whether that is, uh, you know, whether your mix, let's say, is 50-50 personal or professional, whether your mix is 75% business, going back to your previous question, and 25% personal or no personal, 
whatever that might be, I think the most important advice that I can give to people regarding their personal brand is just be authentic to you. Does it feel right for you? So in something like building a LinkedIn profile, in choosing your headshot and your image, I advise people sometimes to change that up, particularly in this environment. Maybe it doesn't work to have a formal headshot where, you know, you have a suit maybe or, uh, you know, more formal dress. Maybe you want to change the image that you use. So uh, your headshot looks a little bit more in the work from home type environment. All of those things can help people get to know you more quickly and more efficiently. And so those are ways of controlling your personal brand. Another tip that I would say is it becomes now really important to drill down on what you write and how you write about yourself. So taking a look at your LinkedIn profile, what does your summary say? Uh, looking at your website for your firm, perhaps even the about us or your bio and socializing that a little bit to make it a little bit more human and personal, authentic um, to yourself. More of a 360 view, I think would be my best advice now. That's really helpful for audience, for sure. And I think something very practical, they haven't necessarily spent much time thinking about, I suppose. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to tell one quick story. So in working with a client, uh, a very large uh, global bank that was putting out an offering, very technical information, and they were putting a lot of content out and not getting very much engagement on it. And uh, you just reminded me of this story. And I was working with one of the global heads on his brand and asked him what he did over the weekend. And this is, you know, last year. And he said, well, I was working in my garden and we have a bumper crop of cauliflower. He said to me, I've just learned this weekend about cauliflower rice. So Helene, you know what cauliflower rice is? No, I don't. So cauliflower rice is, for those people who are trying to watch their carbs, it's taking cauliflower and grinding it up so that it resembles rice. And you can swap it out in different recipes instead of using rice. It's delicious, fewer carbs, and so on. So I suggested to him, after he was putting out a lot of technical information on AI and wealth management, that he post his experience on the cauliflower rice and he began to see such great engagement. He had thousands of people in his network that responded to it, people who had never responded to any of his more technical posts. Uh, even the American Rice Council said, that's not rice, don't call it rice. It was just a way of engaging his audience on a different topic. So I just wanted to remind the audience listening today that there's really nothing that's off limits. He posted a few other cauliflower rice recipes after that, encouraged other people to share recipes, and it became something that he went back to every so often that people remembered, and it became a way to connect. So think about it in those terms. Now we think about the cauliflower rice story. That's a good one. I, I, I will try now. You got me really curious. I, I'm going to try. I'd like to expand now and, and ask you, you know, if you've seen interesting trends emerging during this crisis. We've changed how we work, obviously. We've certainly changed, you know, our perspective on travel or lack thereof, but there has been changing in all sorts of dimensions. So what has uh, struck you as really interesting or surprising or exciting? So as I was saying before, I think there's, you know, in the gaps, there are opportunities. And I think for those smart entrepreneurs who are listening today, um, they'll think about what those gaps are. So what can we leave behind? perhaps excessive travel, and what can we bring forward? Maybe greater human connection. 
I think remote working, you know, all of these topics, as we were saying, uh, less of a commute or no commute, right, from the bedroom to the kitchen table or dining room table or your home office gives us back some time and valuable time, lets us focus in more on our family and spend more time with our family, value, right, things like health uh, that we may have um, taken for granted before. So now we can use telemedicine, which is more efficient and uh, sometimes more effective because you have a one-on-one -on -one appointment, let's say with your physician or nurse practitioner, and it can be more effective because they're also not challenged by uh, the time that it takes for them to see patients or commute or so on. There are lots of other opportunities for education, many different online courses that you can take, many of which are free of charge or reduced charge. And so you can participate in all of those things. I would say the greatest trend uh, that people should take advantage of is the opportunity to connect with other people. So you and I connected online and we met in person, but there's certainly an opportunity for the listening audience to connect with anyone. Send me a LinkedIn connection. We can connect. Um, they're really the barriers to connections have really broken down. So that's an interesting transition to also expand into what you think of recruiting. Do you think this globalization of interaction, because basically we can connect with anybody in the world on LinkedIn, will translate into a change of perspective into the talent pool, making it broader, deeper? I do. That's a fascinating question. And look, this is just my opinion on this, but uh, from what I can see here in the U.S. and based on what I read uh, globally, I don't think people are going to be rushing back to an office environment. And I think work from home, uh, at least in some parts, if, if not large part, is going to be here to stay. And we've proven to ourselves that we can do the same work, if not better work, if not more work in a work from home environment. And from a recruiting standpoint, that gives global firms the opportunity to recruit globally and use people globally um, in a way that they've never ever had before. They no longer have to pay relocation costs. They no longer um, have transition costs. And they're able to just recruit people who are a more perfect fit. I think the other thing is put together teams and different kinds of teams. So whereas in our previous environment, we had to get people together for a meeting. And I, I know you know what I mean, right? In, in your job, right? Uh, that, you know, we had to bring people together in person, right? And think of them in a conference room. And that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I think now we've proven to ourselves that we can assemble teams of people to work on projects where we're bringing in specialized expertise for the time we need to get a project done. That's really encouraging for people looking for jobs at the moment that may be wondering, you know, where to look. Well, where to look is everywhere, I suppose, is your advice. There are no boundaries or fewer boundaries, I would say, than ever before. So whereas some business might be slow and, um, you know, thinking about whether they're bringing people on full time, I think there's definitely opportunities for uh, consulting and, and filling in the cracks, as I was saying. There are uh, a lot of people looking for talent. And so that's just another good reason to really build your personal brand and be very visible online. One other topic we haven't quite tackled, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that, is um, 
do you think the current market volatility has impacted in one way or another diversity in the workplace? And do you think diversity will benefit or maybe take a setback from the current environment? So I think the current environment in terms of diversity is a very wide question. So I think that the current environment, particularly here in the US, which is spread globally, has been a positive for diversity and for creating diverse teams and then opportunities for uh, fundraising and um, for entrepreneurs and then also partnerships between some of the incumbents and the fintechs. I think people are looking to create more diverse teams, more diverse groups and um, now they understand that that really is a benefit and rather than a detriment. So I think that this authentic environment that we're living in now, this news cycle, and the media has given way again to a really important opportunity for people to embrace their diverse thinking, their diverse backgrounds, and really move that to the forefront of their personal brands. That's very encouraging because typically fintech has been an area where we have um, asked for more women, more diverse participation. So I'm, I'm glad to hear um, this is going in the right direction. That's really good. Thinking about um, a topic that's very dear to your heart, wealth management, what have you observed in this crisis, you know, in the collaboration between fintech and banks? And who do you think might come on top out of this crisis between the two? Or, or are they going to you know, collaborate even better? So there was a JP Morgan ad that was produced here in the U.S. in less than 10 days. People can find it. I posted it on my Forbes blog. But they had purchased some airtime for a TV spot. What were they going to do? They had something like 10 days to produce a TV spot with no one able to go into an office or um, go into a studio, right? Much less come up with a script or figure out what they were going to do. And in less than 10 days, this team led by Kristen Lemkow at JP Morgan, uh, who had a, a marketing, who has a marketing background and now uh, leads wealth management, came out with the most brilliant commercial, which was uh, financial advisors on Zoom themselves connecting with their clients. So. I think that has been, you know, that's just one example, but a real positive of wealth management and financial advisors themselves being in a work from home environment, being reassured by their global or national brands, and then using it to their advantage, right? Uh, instead of having to meet clients in your, you know, office with your mahogany table, let's say, you know, now you can be more authentic. Uh, you can get to know people better. You can meet more frequently uh, if you'd like. I think investors have greater access to their advisors uh, and some of those barriers are broken down. So I think it's really been a two-way street. I think from the advisor side also, I've heard that it's much easier to schedule family meetings, something that might have been difficult prior to this. Uh, how do you get a whole family uh, who might be located in different parts of US or parts of the world, how do you get the family together? That's much more easy given digital. Or uh, you know, opportunities like wealth management, which really is a relationship business and is all about people. It's been a real benefit to uh, this work from home and, and the health crisis has given uh, advisors more connection points and more relationship points with their clients than ever before. They're able to solve more 
holistic financial planning type questions rather than just uh, investment advice on certain stocks or equities. Do you think banks might be challenged by startups on some domain of wealth management that can be easily automated and for which direct interaction isn't necessarily required anymore? So that question, you know, (laughs) the robo-advisor question, right? So I think what we've learned over the past years is that there is no right answer or one answer. It's not a one size fits all. That we as people have our own preferences and it's not even generational. I think at one time, many people thought that a robo-advisor automated advice was really something that millennials wanted. And I can tell you just coming off of the Capgemini World Wealth Report, 2020, which was launched last week, that there's a very high appetite in ultra high net worth and boomers for digital. So it's not just limited to millennials. And I think banks are starting to realize that and coming out with many different offerings so that people can enter and work with them, not in a one size fits all, not as a personal, you know, not as a human advisor, not as just a robo advisor, but perhaps a hybrid advisor. Sometimes they want to use digital and sometimes they want to speak to a human. So I think that's what we've learned over the years. And that is a really big opportunity for those entrepreneurs listening to partner with the big banks and partner with the wealth management firms. They're looking for a technology that helps them reach people. You mentioned um, the wealth management report produced with KPMG that just uh, came about. Do you want to share a little bit uh, more about this? I know you were really involved. So Capgemini has produced a world wealth report for the past 24 years. Uh, Next year will be the 25th year. There were many different findings that were very interesting. This is particular to uh, high net worth investors. Um, I'll I'll just pull out one thing because I know we have a global audience. Um, We had a rate of ultra high net worth growing quite rapidly in Asia. And in this report, we found, uh, they found that um, North American ultra high net worth uh, surpassed the growth in Asia. So I think what um, people can take away from that is regardless of where you're based, you're able to access, right, a digital clientele and able to um, take a look at the world as being your client rather than one region and one local region. So there's plenty to that report. You can download it at www.worldwealthreport.com. And you can also see the LinkedIn Live uh, that we produced alongside that, which uh, has different people and uh, A-listers from around the world really weighing in on the results. Thank you for sharing. One thing you've mentioned several times is how this crisis is illustrating and, and enhancing opportunities for people to connect when they didn't think they could because of distance or not knowing each other, etc. One thing we haven't really tackled, but that probably underlies this ability to connect is trust. How would you tell our audience, you know, what you suggest to do to help build trust online and in, in a digital world that, you know, is also more marred with cybersecurity issues and, and concerns around privacy, not losing passwords, etc. Cybersecurity will continue to be an important topic. And for those people listening to this podcast who have cybersecurity solutions, there's a real opportunity for you. I think people need to just use care and be prudent. And I would say uh, also for those parents listening to this, that you also want to make sure that you're equipping your own children 
with the knowledge of cybersecurity and what particular vulnerabilities might be. I don't think that we do enough as parents to uh, help protect our children, but that's the story for a different day. In terms of trust, I think it's very important for us to simply be more authentic. And the, the more we reveal about ourselves, uh, perhaps even personally, the more people will begin to trust us because they'll get to know us much more quickly and easily. What kind of big move or next exciting challenge you will be taking once this pandemic is over? So I think we're just sort of business as usual. Um, I think the next big challenge would be to um, connect with more people and just do sort of more of the same. Uh, I love building my network. So I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast, if you'd like to meet and connect, find me online, uh, April Rudin. I'm happy to meet and connect with you. I think there'll be a lot of new opportunities. And so we'll all have to be in the sort of trend spotting mode, which is looking for the opportunities and the gaps and the positive chances and business relationships that we can create as a result of this global pandemic. So again, I would say we're going to, you know, try to find positive and uh, leave behind the negatives. Have you learned anything funny or unusual or you didn't suspect about yourself during the lockdown? We're all, I think, as humans, more resilient. I thought of myself as a resilient uh, woman before, but, you know, we are all able to do more and handle more than we thought. Uh, I've been able to um, reach out and connect with people I haven't spoken to in a long time, and that's been great. I have two sons, and that's been you know very valuable. One lives at home, and the other one doesn't. So getting to know them and helping them to see through this crisis has been important to me uh, during this time as well. So I think there's a lot of uh, great lessons, and certainly no one could have imagined this uh, pandemic. And I have known many people who have been very ill and who have unfortunately passed away. But I think that we just need to be very vigilant and we need to um, really think more about what we do and how we spend our time and what we're doing. I think and that is probably the greatest lesson I've learned. That's a great uh, word of wisdom here. Rethinking all priorities, making sure they are, they are the right ones and the one that represents yourself, right? Yes. Exactly. One other thing I would say is that I've been thinking about is the why behind things. Why are we doing things? I think that, you know, sometimes in our previous environment, we were so um, obsessed with the what that we didn't think of the why. So I think that would be my last piece of advice here would be thinking about why we're doing something and if it still makes sense. That's, that's great. Look, I uh, would like to open up to Q&A and, uh, and expand the conversation. So if we have any questions. Yes, I have a question. I'm Caroline from French Tech London. Thank you, April, for your presentation. I wanted to go back to talent and diversity. You mentioned uh, that people want to do business with people they know and like and they can share passion with, which is absolutely true and great. I was just wondering, how an HR team could in the future maybe use that kind of information to create a more diverse team. Because if someone recruits, if I recruit someone because they share the same passion as mine, in the end, the team won't be so diverse. So do you think it is something that HR team will be thinking of and something we, they could create or build a model to ensure there's a, 
a good uh, connection between people, but better diversity at the same time. Well, I think, you know, the best teams, of course, are the diverse teams, but the best teams are also passion. So I think on balance, I hope this answers your question, Caroline, but on balance, we don't want to just by be diverse and sacrifice passion, uh, nor do we want to just be passion and sacrifice diversity. So I think, uh, again, it's one of those topics that needs to be on balance so that uh, both can be achieved. I'd like to go back, if we can, to the report you'd mentioned before and ask you if um, in the trend of increasing numbers of ultra-networks individuals, we are seeing more women or more diverse people benefiting from this trend and growing their networks. So it is a growing trend. Uh, women like to invest in things they're passionate about, may be willing to sacrifice, let's say, some returns for investing in their passions. Women are building wealth at a much greater rate than they've ever been before due to a couple of factors, one being entrepreneurship, more female entrepreneurs than ever before, uh, and more successful female entrepreneurs than ever before. Globally, women tend to live longer, so women are also inheritors of wealth. Women also influence their millennial and other age children. You know, there, of course, is diversity among women also, that women is not a, you know, a singular niche here. Women will continue to be a, a very important segment in building wealth, in creating wealth, and also in deploying wealth than ever before. And I think that will be a positive trend. I have another question coming back to working from home, which will probably stay, as you said, and will allow companies to access to a broader talent pool. I can imagine that quite easily for small or medium-sized companies. Uh, how do you imagine big, very big corporates dealing with that? So I've heard from many different firms. They're just trying to figure out how to deal with that. So um, they can't really compel their... Uh, employees to come back to work. Some people feel it's unsafe. Some people um, have a long commute or a difficult commute, and that might be exposure. I think that's one of those areas is just the commute. How do they get people back to work, let alone being at work? Um, how can they get them there safely? And then what percentage, how can they track from a contact tracing standpoint who's been exposed, let's say, to the virus? And how they might expose other people and what is their risk in bringing people back to the office. So I think there is, you know, it's a very complex issue. And I've heard different firms doing different things to try to understand that and figure that out. But I think people are generally starting very, very, very small and very slow here in the U.S. And that might be different as compared with other parts of the world. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us, April, and sharing your thoughts and your tips, more importantly, for our audience. I really appreciate that. I know it's these, these times are pretty tough for people and, uh, and unsettling, so it's always helpful to have some um, good ideas, good tips, good suggestions that we can uh, you know, utilize and put in practice immediately. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate the opportunity. I love your thoughtful questions and I love the group that you've assembled. Maybe even the last takeaway is that we're not in this alone and that we're here all together. And uh, I appreciate reconnecting with you, even if we can't be together in person in Paris, which uh, was of course lovely. It's also lovely to just connect, hear your voice and see you today. So thank you very much. Thank you. 
This is it. Thank you for listening to French Tech Podcast by La French Tech London. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more episodes on our website, frenchtechlondon.com, and on your regular podcast channels. See you soon.